The following is a paid presentation. The views expressed do not necessarily represent those of the staff and management of Shiawassee Radio. Okay, so it's been a crazy day. It's been a great day professionally. Um, thank you for some of the questions that came in. I'll address that. But this is exhaustion 1.0. Like if this was a college class, this would be the exhaustion part. I am so tired, guys. But I know Josh Strickland will kick my ass if I don't get some content done. And the Boogie Nights thing became this big controversy. Um, Sarah May, whoever that is, talked a lot of shit about boogie nights and i've kind of made an issue to you know defend boogie nights and tonight we're going to prosecute boogie nights based on the crimes that are present within the movie um let me first thanks mike pacotney for that awesome alan trammell jersey don't know if you heard it the first time before we had to redo this thing but that is one of the coolest gifts i've ever gotten it's hanging in the office right now everybody's admiring that that is one awesome jersey Aaron Ibera is laughing already. I didn't even say anything funny yet. Jeez. Aaron, you you wait. You wait, because we're going to dig in on this Boogie Night horror tonight. This is your cell. This is your bunk. This is The Jail Visit on Shiawassee Radio, live from the Cofield Oil and Propane Studios. Here's attorney Bill Amadeo. Okay, I am Bill Amadeo from McManus and Amadeo and Grable and Associates, and tonight... We're going to talk about Boogie Nights. We're going to break it down piece by piece. Can you grab my glasses? The other room? I'm sorry. The live boy is going to grab my glasses because I want to look more intellectual. And I can't do that without the glasses. I mean, I look like a failed baseball player. Thanks. Good looking out. All right. Now we look intelligent. Phew. It's worried there for a minute. I think it's going what am I going to do without the glasses? I mean, seriously, just have my baseball cap and hoodie on? My God. Anyway, sorry. So, exhaustion has completely kicked in. Um, even though it was an awesome day in court, I have no energy left, as I said earlier. If I don't do some live content, Josh Strickland may kick me off Shiawassee Radio and maybe kick my ass. So, Josh, I am totally working right now. And I'm trying to do something different. And we don't know how this is going to go. Because we're not doing like a play-along thing, but I'm going to break down some parts of Boogie Nights. And if I was the prosecutor, I'm going to tell you how I would prosecute the individuals in this movie. We're going to break it down like scene by scene as much as I can, as much as the energy will kick in. And uh, we'll take it from there. So Boogie Nights, despite what Sarah May says, is one of the greatest films in the history of cinema. It's about the porn industry in the late 70s and early 80s. That's a horrible segue, isn't it? It's not a porn movie. Okay, I guess it's kind of close. But it's not actually a porn movie. It's actually kind of like a documentary about what happened in the porn industry in the 70s and 80s with Dirk Diggler, Eddie Adams, 
Brock Landers. That's all the same person, by the way. We'll get to him. Um, Aaron Abair just did the whole hand-in-the-mouth thing. Aaron, stop. I'm trying to concentrate here. It's a serious stuff. We're talking Boogie Nights. My God. Lack of professionalism sometimes. Jesus. So, we're going to start with the opening scene. In the opening scene, Jack and Amber walk into Maurice's club. And Jack just had this big premiere, right? And Maurice is the owner of the club. And Maurice desperately wants to be a porn actor. Like, this is his dream, right? So he sees Jack. He screams, Jackie Jack! Jackie Jack! Jackie Jack! He's all excited. And he goes, don't ever stay away from my club that long again. So Jack and Amber walk in. Now, here's the first question. If I was a prosecutor, when Maurice is screaming... Jackie Jack, Jackie Jack. What are you going to do? Well, I hit him with a noise pollution ticket. Here's why. I know Maurice has some shit going on in that club. And I got to get in there. So when he's screaming Jackie Jack, maybe he's disturbing somebody on the strip. I got to get into the club. Because in that club, as we'll get into, there's drugs, there's sex, there's all sorts of shit going on in that club. I got to get in there. I can't just go in there without some kind of premise. So when he approaches Jack and he's screaming, Jackie Jack, I'm hitting him with the noise pollution ticket. I know it's a misdemeanor. I know we're staying down in district court, but I got to go there. <sighs> Sorry. So when you get into the club, right, here's Roller Girl, played by Heather Graham. And Roller Girl, she's going around. She never takes her roller skates off, even in sex scenes. She keeps her roller skates on. And, you know... We're going to learn soon enough that Roller Girl is going to hook up with a dishwasher. Who is Dirk? But we don't know it's Dirk yet. So when Roller Girl goes back in and she's having sex with Eddie Adams. All right. So what we got now, guys, we got an indecent exposure. We got an aggravated indecent. If there's a prior crime, maybe put them on Sora. We just can't have these people having sex in public. So, I'm going to hit him with that charge. Cool charge? It's fair, right? At least got probable cause to do it. Things really take off, guys, when Eddie meets Jack. Now, Jack Horner, he's one of the most unique people in cinema history. The question we have to ask ourselves is, is Jack Horner, played by Burt Reynolds, is he a savior? a pedophile? Is he a human trafficker? What do you think? You go a lot of different ways, right? Jack sees Eddie. They make eye contact. So Jack goes to the back where Eddie's washing dishes. And he introduces himself. And Eddie says, Yes, they are going to put this on the radio. And Eddie says, Do you want a five or a ten? Jack goes, what do you mean? He goes, well, if you want to see my c**k, it's $5. Want me to m**** it's $10. Wow. There's a solicitation charge right there. Maybe not in Washington. They don't charge for prostitution, but in some other counties. In Wayne County, that's a 45-dayer, man. You got to get that down to a disorderly conduct and some community service. Anyway, neither here nor there. Jack is, like, stunned, right? Because you 
hacked off a couple times already? He goes, yeah, you can do it again. He goes, well, if you got 10 bucks. He goes, well, not right now. Yeah, we're racking up the aggravated indecent exposures here, man. This is just... This is not a rated G movie. We're going to... I mean, there's a lot of shit going on. Within the first 10 minutes of the movie, the 17-year-old dishwasher is offering to in front of guys for 10 bucks. And he's a roller girl. I mean, this guy's got a lot going on. And he took a bus like three hours to take this job. I, mean, I see why he's taking the job. He's hooking up with chicks. He's making money on the side. He ain't going to make that kind of money in Torrance, which is where he came from. So we got a lot of issues here. I mean, there's CPS issues up the ass right now as far as Eddie's mom, but we'll, we'll get to her later. <sighs> Sorry, Eddie. I'm getting you with an aggravated indecent. And I'm going to try and make this a felony. And I hope you run the prelim, because if you run the prelim, I'm going to try to amend charges. All right. Jack comes back to pick Eddie up later in time. And he brings this 17-year-old home to have sex with Roller Girl in front of him. Now, as Jack is watching Roller Girl and Eddie hook up, he's smoking a cigar and he's just watching, kind of getting off, I guess. Whatever. Alright, this is totally child porn in the making. But he didn't produce anything yet. He's just watching. In the meantime, Amber's getting high in the back. Amber's trying to call her ex to talk to her child while doing a line of coke. We're going to hit Amber with some serious CPS issues and some possession of cocaine charges. Um, just, it's a really bad situation. As entertaining as a movie it is, when you really break this shit, down like whoa what the hell's going on here again i mean i'd be prosecuting everybody if i was on the other side of the v this is the only time i'll ever be a prosecutor so enjoy the moment eddie goes back home he has a fight with his mother and his mom is tearing down his property and he's screaming please don't be mean to me so here's the question now when mrs adams tears down eddie's posters and stuff are they her property or are they the property of Eddie? I think it's them DOP. We got a destruction of property if and only if the property actually belonged to Eddie. If it was the mother's property in the state of Michigan, I would invoke the legal impossibility argument to show that you cannot be charged with destroying your own property. Sadly, we're not really sure who purchased that property. So we may not be able to authorize charges on this one. And that's, you know, it's a shame because as a prosecutor wants to make a name for myself, I want to issue as many charges as possible. I don't know we have the MDOP here, guys, so I'm going to have to pass on this one. By the way, you prosecutors at home, I want you to remember, it is not illegal not to issue charges. This leads us to the pool party. Wow. The pool party is like an array of criminal prosecution. The colonel brings a 15-year-old date to the pool party. All right. He calls her his lady friend. Now, Michigan, the age of consent is 16. Um, unless there's a power dynamic, then it would be 18. That's a question for later, I guess. 
But, I mean, it's pretty clear that we're going to hit the Colonel with probably a CSC3. I imagine the Colonel was hooking up with her. However, the young girl, she wants to use cocaine. So she asks Jack, is there any cocaine at this party? He says, I'm sure we could find you some. Is Jack aiding and abetting in the distribution of cocaine there? I mean, it's a possibility. She eventually finds somebody to do cocaine with. And she overdoses. And she has to get taken to the hospital. We're not sure if she died or not. Now, the guy that gave the cocaine to her, he's crying, saying this is twice in two days a girl overdosed on me. Now, I'm thinking felony murder. If you gave somebody drugs and they died, I'm going after you for felony murder, which would be the equivalent of first-degree murder. Even though there's no intent, I mean, felony murder is going to be a problem for this guy if the girls died. Um, the colonel, being the advocate for advice that he is, he says to the guy, maybe you need to get some better sh He doesn't say, hey, this poor 50-year-old girl who I'm dating is dying. He's advising the porn actor to get better sh So you can tell there's a disconnect here. Perhaps that disconnect becomes even broader when the colonel gets introduced to Eddie. Jack brings Eddie up to the colonel, and the colonel says, I hear you got a giant And Eddie's just laughing, and he goes, can I see it? And Eddie goes, are you serious? And the colonel goes, please. So here's Eddie. He takes his pants off, and he's showing his penis to the colonel. Again! Indecent exposure all day long. What the hell are we doing, guys? It's really weird. I don't know. Amber's son is calling for Amber at the party. Maurice and Buck are trying to find her. They can't find her. I mean, Amber's got more CPS issues, like, racking up here. I mean, let me tell you. I know some DHHS workers, man, they be filing petitions all day long right now, so. Amber Waves. It's not a good look, Am. You can't be using cocaine and making porn films while your children are looking for you. It's just not a good look. But we transition to the first porn shoot. Now, you gotta remember something. Eddie is 17 years old. And they're having sex on the screen. And they're going to produce this film. We got some 20-year felonies going on here. This is distribution of child porn. 16 is the age of consent. It was the 5 or 10 discussion that came up, which was an aggravated indecent, by the way. We can't have that. I don't care how bad Dirk needs that $10. He cannot be doing that shit. Just can't. You know? I'm making it all in front of Pete for $10. That's just, that's just messed up. My God. Then he becomes his porn star. And if you ask me, Jack and the Colonel, there's a conspiracy here for child porn. I mean, my God. And we all know and when Robert Hino Joza was a prosecutor in Shiawassee, he'd be hitting conspiracies for everything. Nobody challenged that. That was weird. But anyway. I mean, I'm, I'm hitting it with a conspiracy. I know if Robert was the prosecutor, he'd be going for conspiracies. He just, he can't produce that. While the porn scenes are going on, while Eddie's becoming this big star, you see Scotty J just sitting in the back, like, having this arousal going on, and 
it's kind of a weird scene, but you know, they they're slapping each other five. We're seeing the porn awards come up, the second annual, and Kirk wins best. And the colonel says that, and Kirk gives this moving speech, like he's saying, our movie's not just about sex, it's about relationships and putting people together, and that was emotional. You know, I mean, you see that the man was completely passionate about his craft. He's going to be 18 soon, we're not going to have any more child porn issues, let's be clear. Things really take a turn in the film. New Year's Eve, 1979. So New Year's Eve, 1979. Floyd Gondoli walks in. Floyd Gondoli walks in with four teenagers. Says, meet boys, meet girls. And he, he's hooked up with the colonel. Floyd is in the porn industry himself. So now they're going to talk about mass production. What Floyd wants to do is start putting porn on tape. He was like an entrepreneur. And Jack's against this because Jack is like this big purist of film. So Floyd and Jack are arguing this is clearly a conspiracy to distribute child porn. There's this one scene where it kind of breaks the tension a little bit. Floyd and Jack are arguing, right? And Floyd says to Jack, I'm a simple man. I like lollipops in my mouth and butter in my ass. And the colonel's laughing. I gotta admit, at this point, I'm a little uncomfortable. The whole butter in the ass thing, what the f*** was that? Butter in the ass? Not a crime, but that should be. That's just, I don't know. Sometimes I realize that I may be the normal one in situations, and this is one of those scenes like, holy shit, my dysfunction might not be that bad. Jack leaves. Dirk is doing cocaine for the first time. This is going to lead down a real path. Obviously, Amber gives him the coke. We're probably going to get two possession charges out of this, maybe a use. I don't really see distribution for that little bit of cocaine, but we got a little bit of coke going on here. Um, that's when Scotty J tries to kiss Dirk when he shows him his new car. Looks like we got a misdemeanor assault going there. And, um, the crime aspect of Boogie Nights really takes a turn with Little Bill. Little Bill played by William Macy. Dude, this guy had a bad New Year's, alright? Now, Little Bill's wife was a porn actress. And she had been cheating on him. And he used to catch her cheating all the time. He'd walk in. She'd tell him to go in the living room while she's hooking up with some guy. Okay. So there's a few things that come to mind right now. Number one. All right. Little Bill married a porn actress. I'm not putting down porn actresses. But I can't imagine, you know, those relationships really are monogamous. They f*** people for a living, right? Okay. Little Bill has had his fill. He, um, he sees his wife in one of the bedrooms f***ing this guy. He goes out to the car. He puts his glass of champagne on top of the vehicle. He unlocks the car. He pulls out a gun. He loads it. Walks back. 
into the house. He kills the wife, kills her lover, and eventually kills himself. Now, if he didn't kill himself, what we have here is definitely two counts of first-degree murder. Um, the question becomes is, can we hit this guy with an involuntary manslaughter charge? I mean, I would argue involuntary manslaughter, he the passion, that'd be my argument in this situation. I'm sure the prosecutors out there would disagree with that. Yeah, there is, there's a competency that has to be ordered here. This guy's not right in the head. I mean, and here's the thing about Little Bill. Alright, and I like Little Bill. I feel bad for the guy. Alright, I get it. His wife's f***ing some loser in the bedroom. But dude, you're in the porn industry. There's gotta be other actors you could've hooked up with. Could've played the sympathy card. This poor guy had one of the worst New Year's you could possibly have. And this is a transition into the 80s. Todd Parker comes in. Todd Parker is going to be a pivotal character moving forward. And the 80s, we're going to see a downward spiral for many of the characters. And we turn to the early 80s. And Brock Landers is starring in a movie called Oral Magistry 3. In Oral Magistry 3, which is a porn film, he commits assault on a woman he's hooking up with on camera. We, I don't know if we have a domestic violence going on there. I don't know if it's actually a dating relationship. But it's definitely um, an assault. At least misdemeanor assault and battery. You know, and I know people like Oral Magistry 3. I read on Google that Oral Magistry 2 was the best of the series. <laughs> it's been a long day. But, um, yeah, so Kirk is beating a woman on the screen that's messed up. We're going to hit him. We're going to try and hit him with a felony. You know, definitely. Um, he's going to argue legal impossibility because it's a film. It's a film within a film. I I'm charging the guy. You know what? Jesus. You know, Sammy Hood, I know Boogie Night sounds whacked. But have you ever watched the film? Here come the Boogie Night haters. Was waiting for this. I am so sick of people putting Boogie Nights down. I will defend Boogie Nights. You know I'm prosecuting it right now. God. Great film. Jack gets a call from the Colonel. And this is where things really take a horrible turn. The Colonel is locked up in jail. Turns out he's with a 15-year-old girl who was doing cocaine. And they found some child porn on him. They're going to get him for possession. Aggravated indecent. Um, they're going to get him for potentially felony murder if the poor kid died. Definitely a CSC3. And you know what, Sammy Hood? How dare you hate Boogie Nights? How many of these Boogie Nights haters are coming out? Where's Sarah May? I, and I know Sammy Hood. I don't know you, Sammy, but I'm sure you're a Shiawassee person. Did you people really not like Boogie Nights? I think it's just personal. That's right, Lindsay Fry. This is personal because you know I'm a fan of the film and they're going to attack this classic piece of cinema. That's okay. I'm going to continue. You're not getting me off my game tonight. It's been a long day, but I will not stand for hating Boogie Nights. Dirk is racking up the cocaine charges. And this leads to a disastrous studio time when he's trying to sing You've Got the Touch. Just doesn't work. I mean, there's enough possession charges to get Dirk for a half four. I mean, he's he's just got coke problems up all day, man. It's just not good. 
What happens next is Amber ends up in probate court. Her ex comes in and he tells the judge how he has not been following the judge's order. As somebody who does a little bit of abuse and neglect cases, I've seen these situations when orders are not filed. Um, her husband says that Amber's in the porn industry and she's using cocaine. She goes, I'm not using cocaine, but she doesn't deny the porn. You see Amber crying. Um, I don't think the CPS hearing went well for her. And that's where we're at with that. Then we have our first taste of reality TV. And for you guys that are fans of the movie, this is when Jack decides to make television history. He's got Roller Girl in the car. They pick up this kid from college. And he wants to film the guy and Roller Girl hooking up in the limousine. And it doesn't work out well. Apparently the guy went to high school with Randy, who is Roller Girl's real name. Um, Roller Girl wants to stop. The guy says to Jack, your movies suck anymore anyway. Jack gets out of the car. He beats him nearly to death. This is an A-win, okay? Assault with intent to murder. I mean, Jack literally tried to kill this guy. And then while he's on the ground bleeding, Roller Girl gets out. And she starts kicking this guy with her roller skates. Well, there's a bunch of felonious assaults. Dirk is trying to make money, so he becomes a prostitute. This guy gives him some money to try to off. Poor Dirk can't do it. He gets gang beaten. We got, we got a lot of problems, but we're going to hit a lot of uh, felonious assault charges across the board. Now the transition is going to come when Buck. Buck goes to Dunkin' Donuts or a donut store. Now, Buck is one of the nicest characters we've seen. Good guy, Don Chalite. He's playing in the film. He can't get a loan because he's a pornographer. Him and his pregnant wife, Jessie, they go to get some donuts. While getting the donuts, somebody comes to rob the donut store. Buck is f***ing terrified. The guy who's robbing the store has a customer who tries to shoot him. He gets struck. The guy that was the robber shoots accidentally at that point, I think. He strikes the guy behind the counter. So what do we got? Well, we got first-degree murder if these guys are alive. We got a self-defense of the hunter. We got a victim who's dead. But here's what Buck gets charged with, guys. All the money falls on the ground. It's not Buck's money. I'm sorry, Buck. Buck's a good guy, but Buck takes the money, he runs out. We got larceny inside a building. Then we have... Oh my god. We got Rahad Jackson. Rahad Jackson is when... Todd Parker and Dirk and Reed decide to rob this guy who's a big coke guy. Big coke person. They bring coke, but it's baking soda. It's not really cocaine. We're going to get them for attempted distribution, but we can't actually get them for distribution because of the defense of legal impossibility. 
Ray had has this small Asian boy in there, and that's got to be child porn. He says his name is Cosmo. The kid looks like he's nine years old. He's throwing off these firecrackers. Ray hits him on the ass. Weird shit going on here. Um, Todd decides to rob Rahad, and, you know, a shootout occurs. Todd Parkins up getting killed. Rahad's going to use the Castle Doctrine for self-defense. Um, Dirk gets shot at. You got the Retreat Doctrine going on, but, yeah, there's some homicides going on here, and it's really sad. And Lindsay Fry says such a great movie. I know! And, um... That is the crimes of Boogie Nights. Are there any questions? The Jail Visit with attorney Bill Amadeo from McManus and Amadeo. Connect with McManus and Amadeo at McManusAmadeo.com or call 800-392-7311. This is The Jail Visit on Shiawassee Radio. Tonight we're going to talk about a few legal issues that come up. And then we're going to talk about life a little bit. A few weird things that have happened of late. You know, it's amazing how people from your past tend to resurface when they need things, and it's a fascinating thing. But I have this one case where they're charging a guy with a 15-year felony, and now there's evidence missing. How can you charge somebody without reviewing all the evidence? How could you not make sure you have your evidence together before you charge somebody and try to destroy their life? Another thing that made me think a lot about today, another thing that made me think today was, imagine, let's play hypotheticals, okay? Imagine you had an employee that was a piece of shit, and that piece of shit kept doing things that were racist, kept, I don't know, bringing unauthorized things against people. And this person was so bad that you got rid of them. But what you did upon getting rid of them was continue all the policies that they created. That sounds f***ed up, doesn't it? And I, you know, hey. I mean, I know there's no election right now, so maybe that doesn't matter. But with that being stated, based upon the text messages I've received... And the alleged threats have come my way. Bro. You don't have to come hard for a war. I'm f***ing engaging right now. You cannot prosecute people without f***ing evidence. Unfucking real But you know. It's okay. Justice has a way of working things out. And I swear this to you. And you know who I'm talking to. If somehow I lose that fucking trial, you know which one I'm talking about, bro. I'm going to create so many appealable issues that when it's over, the Court of Appeals and the Michigan Supreme Court are going to bit slap you. You cannot hide evidence, not when someone's fucking life is on the line. And if somebody hid evidence, 
You can't just get rid of them. You gotta get rid of the thing they created. You keep that in mind. And by the way, I'm not mentioning any names. So when you make your little grievance complaints, and you make your little threats. Oh, by the way, every time you've texted me or called me, I have it recorded, just so we're clear. So, let's be careful before we start throwing punches. I'd hate to see emails get compromised. That would just be all f***ed up. The funny thing about compromising in emails is, you know, sometimes if somebody compromises an email, they may have also emailed things could be compromised. You got to be careful if you throw a punch and make sure when you throw a punch, the person you throw doesn't throw one back and hit a lot harder than you. Keep that in mind. Anyway, as I was saying, today was interesting. Um, you know, I was wondering today, when somebody was a part of your life at one point, when somebody played a role in the past, how much do you owe that person going forward? Like, if you were in a difficult situation with somebody at some point, like money was bad or whatever, and you were involved in the same struggle, and now you're in different stations in life, where are we at with that? Does a friendship 20 years ago mean you've been friends for 20 years? Does it mean that you were friends 20 years ago? And what kind of emotional currency does that carry as we proceed? I got a call. I got a call from somebody I used to know. It was a call from Jersey. And the individual says to me how they need some legal advice. And this was somebody... I can't say we were ever friends. We weren't enemies. We knew each other, right? But we weren't friends at all. And now he has a loved one who's in a very bad situation. And he needed some legal advice. And he can't afford me even if I took the case in Jersey. So, you know, he's kicking the tires right now. What do I do? He wants me to try to help the court appointed lawyer on the case to help his child. And his child is facing some bad stuff in a bad part of New Jersey. When I say a bad part of New Jersey, they're upper middle class, but where they're being prosecuted, the prosecutor's office in this part of Jersey, it's kind of, I would say, shady's an understatement. And there's a lot of tricks that are done. Um, there's such a gap between prosecutors and defense lawyers in New Jersey, greater than that gap in Michigan. You remember one thing, guys. And, you know, there's amazing prosecutors out there. Mark Green, Scott Corner, Karen McDonald, Kim Worthy, people I respect. But prosecutors pick their cases. We don't. They decide, or at least they should be deciding based on the evidence, they think at least probable cause is present to move forward. So when you're a defense lawyer, you start the game behind the eight ball and you got to charge uphill. As some prosecutors I respect have always told me, I put the offense in defense, and what that means is you got to be on the aggressive. Now, when you're on the aggressive, you can respect someone. Prosecutors have a tough job. But there's prosecutors who look at the facts and want to protect the community. 
And then there's prosecutors who don't look at the facts. And we cannot try cases on Facebook. Let's remember that. We can't build a case against somebody because some ass puts a Facebook post up. When an officer does that, when they're actually fishing for evidence on Facebook to try to make a case, that's scary shit. What are we doing here? We're messing with people's lives, right? My theory is this, as a defense lawyer. If my client did something, you have the evidence to prove they did something, let's respectfully discuss liability. But if you don't have the evidence and you just destroy my client's life and I think you're dirty, then the respect kind of goes out the window. You're going to see some Atlantic City crazy shit. Because here's the thing. Despite me being this, I am smarter than you. You know this, right? You have to know this deep down in your heart. I mean, I hate to say it. I know you had money and I was poor, but at the end of the day, I did higher on those IQ tests, which is why we're here. Okay? So... If you want to play dirty with me, don't think I'm going to miss anything. I'm not. I won't fucking sleep to find hidden evidence. And I'm going to file those missing evidence instructions. I'm going to file those Brady violations. I'm going to make your life fucking hell. Or we could put everything out on the table and work professionally. It's your call, though. And I say all that to go back to the call from New Jersey. You see the hands are moving tonight, the Italian things work? Okay. Because this guy's son is in a lot of jeopardy. And to be honest, I don't know if he deserves to be in jeopardy or not. I don't know a lot about the case. I did a little bit of research. And I'm sitting there. And there's a few things that go through my mind. We weren't friends in high school. He was from the suburbs. I was from the ghetto. Let's just start with that. I'm looking at some of the evidence in the case... Not to have a lot of free time to do it, but I did. And the picture being painted is really bad. And he's breaking down and crying on the phone. What do I do? Well, number one, I'd mortgage the house to get a damn good criminal defense lawyer. Sorry. It's what you may need to do. You may need to find money somewhere. Because the individual has your cases over their head. Okay? It just... Nice enough individual, but they don't have the ability to handle a case of this magnitude. I would guess if things stay the course they're going to stay, if they don't move, your son's going to do 15 years in prison. Heartbeat. And in the New Jersey Department of Corrections, um, that's not going to be a good look for him. He will either die within the first couple of years or never be the same. So you need a stronger lawyer. And I'm not going to be that lawyer, but I will provide a bit of a roadmap for you. And when I'm providing this roadmap, I'm kind of torn about things. And I'll tell you why I'm torn. We go back to uh, the high school days, right? And this individual actually go back to before high school. We were playing baseball together in Ventnor. 
when my family was lying about our address to play in Ventnor. And he was one of the in crowd, I wasn't. And something happened along the way. Like, freshman, sophomore year, it was almost like we formed these alliances. These people fell into the cool category. These people fell into the brain category. These people just fell. And I think I was one of the ones that was just supposed to fall. You know, you're a white kid from Ducktown. And, you know, that just didn't carry a lot of weight. Other than Miss Gandia and Mr. Graziel seeing something in me, I wasn't supposed to fit into any of these cliques. And there was this one girl. And this is an interesting story about her. Now, she came from the ghetto, too. We were friends. Our families were friends. And I guess we were about eight. She moved. And she moved to the suburbs. And then she went off to her school, and I was in my school. And then that sophomore year of high school, we, she came back to AC High. And I was pretty excited. It was like, oh, wow, my friend's back. We grew up together. I was pretty excited that she was there. But things had changed. Now she was in the in crowd. I'm a poor white kid from the ghetto. And she is not a wealthy girl from the suburbs. But she is somebody who is in the clique. A clique I wasn't going to be in. And instead of just not including me in that clique. She basically. Like poisoned like social opportunities. It was like, you can't hang out with Bill. And this individual was one of her boyfriends at the time. And you know, it was like the haves versus the have nots. Like she was kind of in the haves and I was the have not. And we went our separate ways, all these people. High school was somewhat of a emotional roller coaster to me. Um, you know, I remember junior year, there was this beautiful girl in high school who said she was really into me, but we couldn't hang out in public because the girl from the ghetto was didn't want that happening. And I remember I said to my aunt, I said, what do I do here? Do I actually hook up with this girl who I'm crazy about behind closed doors or do I just walk away from it and Aunt Mary said we gotta have self-respect you walk away okay did that but when upon doing that you know things happen with mock trial and stuff like that and we just went into different clicks and there was always this we are better than you type thing. And I'm on the phone with this guy. We're on the phone and we're talking and I'm breaking shit down how his son could potentially not go to prison. And I got this vibe from him that it's back, it's high school again. Like he thought he was like doing me some favor. And dude, you can't fucking afford me and I'm not gonna help you pro bono. In some ways, we're back to the 90s, and it's high school, and you're taught between two worlds. One world is like, I don't want to see this kid go down. I don't think the kid is necessarily 
guilty of the crime he's charged with. And I'm probably one of the few minds in the country that could potentially push through some of these things. There's another part of me, though. Another part of me remembers when they were all having their little pot parties in Vetner and Margate, and I was stuck on Willow Avenue and poor. It was just me and my mock trial book. And me studying the law and soaking it all in from 16 years on. And I look today, and I kind of think to myself, hmm, well, those times with the mock trial book actually trailblazed where we are today. And at the time, it hurt not to be at those parties. I want to be at those parties, but I couldn't be for a few reasons. Number one, I wasn't wanted by the clique. Number two, we didn't have a car. We were dirt poor. Number three, if somehow I got to the party on a bus or something like that, coming home would have been dangerous late at night. I even had the money to do that. So all these emotions are like coming like this roller coaster situation, right? And I'm thinking to myself, his kid wasn't part of this. His kid should not suffer strictly because I wasn't invited to a party junior year. But my retainer in this case is $150,000. And business says, hey, come up with $150K or good luck to you. You're caught. And it's something I live with daily, that two-world thing. I look back to Ducktown. And I look back to that little thing on Pitney Village. That little fence that drew us in. And... I think to myself, man, how close it was to all being over. And while you're living in that fear of Ducktown, you also have this desire to fit in. And the suburban kids just didn't want you around. Well, now things have changed. The kid from the ghetto is now arguably king of the suburbs. And with that, these things resurface. And with these podcasts, these Facebook Lives, people are coming out of the woodworks. Some people are angry about things. Like, how the f*** is he doing this? Some people are depressed about it. Like, what happened to my life? Because a lot of them that were in that in-crowd, who's dead? Who's in prison? Who's serving jail time? Whose life has fallen horribly short? their own expectations. I don't mention people by names in these scenarios, you know? I just don't. But there's something to be said about this whole thing. You don't have to harbor anger against somebody from the past. You don't. But you also have to let them back into your world. And there's a fine line between those things. There's a real fine line between those things. You know. What makes you tough? What makes you successful? And how much are you going to let somebody from the past resurface into your world? This guy means nothing. Yeah, we weren't close friends. We weren't family. 
and maybe I could help his son. So the 15-year-old self says, I feel bad. I don't want anybody to be in the situation because to me, his son being in prison would be the equivalent of where I was. Probably even worse. But yeah, he's not going to survive prison. Another part of me is like, well, you know, business is business. I don't owe you a goddamn thing. That's where we're kind of at with this. I'm Bill Amadeo, and I sort of approved this message. <laughs> I'm glad we didn't get off topic tonight. Proceeding was a paid presentation by McManus and Amadeo PLLC. Listeners of this program should contact their attorney to obtain advice with respect to any particular legal matter. No listener should act or refrain from acting on the basis of information within this program without first seeking legal advice from counsel in the relevant jurisdiction. Only your individual attorney can provide assurances that the information and your interpretation of it is applicable or appropriate to your particular situation. Listening to this program using any associated website or related links or resources does not create an attorney-client relationship between the listener and host, contributors, or contributing law firms. All liability with respect to actions taken or not taken based on the contents of this program are hereby expressly disclaimed. You and your loved ones deserve a criminal defense firm that believes that your life and freedom are worth fighting for. Matt McManus, Bill Amadeo, and the McManus and Amadeo team of attorneys, investigators, and case managers will take the lead with a vast knowledge and legal experience across the state of Michigan to get the best possible result for you. Learn more at McManusAmadeo.com. Schedule a free consultation 24-7 by calling 800-392-7311.